Life is hectic, so wherever tomorrow takes you, be ready with Factor's chef-crafted and dietitian approved meals delivered right to your door. With over 35 options a week, including keto, calorie smart, vegan and veggie, and more, they've got a variety that fits your lifestyle. Factor has restaurant-quality meals ready to heat and eat in just two minutes. They also have various easy options for the entire day, from breakfast to midday bites, smoothies, and more. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is a nutritious and delicious experience, and it won't break the bank. You can customize your meals by choosing 6 to 18 per week. Plus, you can pause or reschedule deliveries anytime to fit your schedule. Factor meals are 100% hassle-free, giving you more time for what matters. Head to factormeals.com slash otherside50 and use the code otherside50 to get 50% off. That's code otherside50 at factormeals.com for 50% off your delicious, hassle-free meals. Hello and welcome to our podcast, The Other Side NDE, where we talk about the fascinating phenomena of near-death experiences. These are more than just a close brush with death. This is first-hand accounts of what people have experienced dying, leaving the body, exploring a completely different realm, and then returning to their body in order to share that experience with you. Every person we interview, and many of us listeners, believe these accounts to be undeniably real experiences people had on the other side. If you enjoy listening to stories like these, make sure to check out our YouTube channel, The Other Side NDE, where we post two to three videos per week of people sharing their near-death experience stories. In today's episode, we are hearing from a man who didn't have the typical near-death experience. He wasn't greeted by a loving spirit or enter into a beautiful meadow. Howard Storm was an atheist. He had strong convictions that death was just simply the end. When he found himself outside of his body, he was very disoriented and in complete denial about his mortality. Before he could get his bearings on what happened, he was lured into the darkness by very strange beings that made him feel very uncomfortable. He ended up following them deep into the unknown until the discomfort became overwhelming and he challenged them. In great numbers, they overpowered him aggressively, and Howard was brave enough to stand his ground. He found a crack in their defenses, and with that sliver of hope, he was able to put up a brilliant fight. Listen as Howard shares what he experienced on the other side. Hello, everyone. My name is Howard Storm, and I had a near-death experience June 1st, 1985 which is very vivid to me to this day. And it changed my life completely. It was like a 180 degree change in my life. Prior to my near-death experience, I was a real diehard atheist. At that time, I was 38 years old. I was a college professor and uh, completely self-centered about my career and my life. And, you know, I thought uh, religion was a bunch of uh, superstitious nonsense, fairy tales made up for people that didn't have the courage to face the fact that life had no meaning, no purpose. Like bumper stickers that were popular back then used to say, life sucks, then you die. That's what I thought it was all about. So the whole point was get all the um, pleasure, 
all the gratification you could get any way you could get it without getting in too much trouble and live for yourself because nobody else cared about you. It was a doggy dog world and um, you know, you just, you just out there competing for the toys and the, and the good stuff. So June 1st, 1985, I was at the end of a three week art tour with a group of my students from the university where I taught. And at 11 o'clock in the morning in the hotel room, trying to get the students going, go to another museum. I collapsed on the floor with the most acute pain I'd ever experienced in my whole life. My wife called the desk at the hotel. They called an emergency medical service and a doctor came within probably 10 minutes, got me up off the floor where I was cussing and thrashing and screaming in an absolute terror because I didn't know what was happening to me. And the pain was like completely overwhelming. And he said that I had a perforation of the duodenum, which is a small stomach, and that I had to have surgery within the hour or I would die. So he called an ambulance. The ambulance came pretty rapidly and two nice young men put me in a chair and carried me down a flight of stairs to the first floor and out of the hotel, and put me in the ambulance and off we went through the uh, streets of Paris going 60 miles an hour with this little uh, mini ambulance swinging back and forth and went to emergency. At emergency, I was examined by two doctors. They took x-rays and did other tests and said exactly what the doctor at the hotel had said, and that I had to have a surgery within the hour or I would die. So they then sent me several blocks away on a gurney to the surgical hospital, which name was Cochin. I was at the Hospital de Assistance Public de Paris, and they sent me off to the uh, surgical unit, Cochin. And when I got to Cochin, I was put in a room. I didn't know it, and I'm sure the people in emergency didn't know it, but there was no surgeon available at the surgical hospital. So for the next 10 hours, I never saw a doctor. I was never given, either in emergency or at the surgical hospital, any pain medication whatsoever. One of the things that I find very, very annoying is people always tell me, oh, I just had this near-death experience because it was like some kind of drug trip. And I was like, for 10 hours, I begged and pleaded and cried for somebody to give me a painkiller. And I was given nothing because there was no doctor to prescribe it. And the nurses always said, we're sorry, but you know, only a doctor can prescribe that kind of a thing. Every doctor I've talked to um, in the United States told me that my life expectancy was probably a couple hours, maybe three or four at most. After all of this happened, I was in the hospital for months because I was extremely septic which means that I had infection throughout my whole body. And I was, um, for a lot of times after this whole experience in the hospital, I was on, listed as critical, I mean, meaning they didn't know whether I was gonna live or die that day. And that was a, a whole nother experience, which I'm not gonna go into. But anyways, so 8.30 that night, this happened at 11. I was at the French hospital by 11.30, 8.30 that night. Nurse came in and said she was sorry, but they were unable to locate a doctor. 
and they would try and get one the next day, which would have been Sunday. When she told me that, I was so weak and I'd had a great deal of difficulty breathing for a long time, which is all my energy, all of my thought, all of my strength, everything about me was all focused on breathe in, breathe out. Because it hurt like crazy to breathe. Because when you breathe, it agitated the uh, stuff that was leaking from my uh, duodenum into my abdominal cavity. A point of pain in the middle of my abdomen now was my from my shoulders to my groin. My whole abdomen was like on fire. And when I say like on fire, I don't mean that as an exaggeration. I mean it literally. It was like I'm like the inside of me was full of burning red hot coals. It was beyond description, beyond belief. I, I kept, one of the things I kept thinking was, this can't be happening, this can't be happening. This can't be real. It's too horrible. Why am, I kept thinking, why am I conscious? I thought when you, when stuff got too bad, you went unconscious. I wish I was unconscious, <laughs> you know, but anyways. So when the nurse left the room, I told my wife, I said, it's time for us to say goodbye. Tell my kids I love them, tell my parents I love them etc. And uh, she started crying like I'd never seen anybody ever cry before. Because this was farewell, forever, goodbye. And she sat down in the chair, was crying, and I closed my eyes and I stopped trying to breathe and I went unconscious. Of course, I don't know how long I was unconscious. People always ask me, like, how would I know? No. <laughs> and uh, I woke up and I felt wonderful, absolutely wonderful, the best I ever felt in my whole life. And I was like delighted, happy, amazed, surprised, you know, like bewildered. But the good thing was, is like I felt really good before I'd felt the worst I ever felt in my whole life. And now I felt really good. And I did a reality check of my body. And like I, I realized that I could, my taste, sight, smell, touch, everything was greater than it had ever been in my whole life. I mean, I wasn't just better, I was made better, you know, um, heightened sense. And I tried to communicate with my wife. From my perspective, she didn't react to me. Of course, she couldn't see me or hear me standing there, yelling and screaming at her. I turned to my roommate, who's a very kind Frenchman. I got no reaction from him. I was very angry. I was very confused. You know, what is this? And then the worst possible thing happened. I saw that the body in the bed, the bed that I'd been lying in, was there. And when I looked at its head, it looked just like me. But you're the same person. You can't be two places at once. You know, that's not possible, you know? And so I refused to accept that that was me because I was alive standing next to this body. and. There was this thing that looked like me in the bed, but that can't be, that's not me. That's just a piece of dead meat. And I heard people calling me outside the room and they were saying, Howard, Howard, come, hurry. We gotta go, we gotta go. And so I went over to the doorway of the room and there was a group of people in the dark hallway and they were standing out of the shaft of light coming from the room. So they were back in the shadows like maybe eight of them or something, and adults, men and women. And uh, I said, I'm sick, I need a doctor, I'm supposed to have surgery. 
And I said, we know all about you. We've been waiting for you for a very long time. And it's time for you to come with us. Now, I wanted to believe that they were hospital people coming to take me to the doctor because they said, I mean, I explained my situation and they said they, they got it, they, you know, they understood. So I left the room, although I thought that they were kind of scary. And they took me on a very long walk, a journey. And fairly soon in the journey, I realized that there were no stairs, there were no ups or downs, there were no walls, there was no ceiling. And I soon realized that it was getting darker and darker on this journey. We started off in this gray land, in this dank space, and it just kept getting danker and darker. The other thing was, is that the people that were with me, they stopped acting professionally and they started making crude, rude remarks about me. And that was getting kind of scary. Gee, I, these people aren't nice, you know? <laughs> they, they want to have their way with me. And uh, eventually we ended up in a place where there was no light at all, complete, utter darkness. And I said, so I stopped moving with them and the group had grown a lot as we had journeyed, gone from like just a, you know, a few people to many, many people. I don't, I have no idea how many, maybe hundreds. And uh, I said, I'm not going to go any further. And they said, you have to go. You've got, um, you're not there yet. You've got further to go. And I said, I'm not, I'm going back. Which was a bluff because I had no idea where I was and which way was right, left, or, you know, I didn't know which way was back because I'm, you know, so confused. But anyways, so I stopped moving and they started to push and shove me. So I fought back. Now I had done some wrestling and football and stuff in high school and was, um, I knew how to fight. And so I fought, except there were a lot of them and one of me. And um, despite the uh, fiction that you see in movies where one guy beats, you know, a dozen other people, that's not true. You know, <laughs> you know, one against two might be possible, but one against like, you know, 20 or 100, forget about it. So anyways, I'm punching, I'm hitting, I'm kicking, and they're giving it all back to me. And then their fighting turned into biting, clawing, scratching, and being invasive and doing things to humiliate me, which I don't really like to talk about that much. And they wanted to tear me apart, which they did. But when they had completed their job and me lying there like a piece of roadkill on the ground of that place, I was still alive, still thinking. And it's like, why? What is this? Where am I? How did this happen to me? Who are these horrible people? Except there was no way out. I mean, you know, like I'm, I'm roadkill, I know. I'm all eviscerated. You know, my guts are spread out all over the place. And I wasn't amusing them anymore because I, I wasn't reacting. And I heard a voice from outside of myself say, pray to God. And I thought, I don't believe in God. That's ridiculous. And I'll pray. And the voice said, pray to God. And I thought, 
I didn't even know, I don't even know how to pray. I haven't prayed since I was a child. I don't even know what to say. And the voice very strongly and kind of loudly said, pray to God. So I'm thinking, okay, okay. When I was a kid, you know, I went to Sunday school and we learned prayers. So I'm trying to remember something that I'd memorized because that's what, you know, children are taught prayer is you memorize like the Lord's Prayer or the 23rd Psalm or something and recite them, you know. And so I can only remember like the few, first few words of the uh, 23rd Psalm and the Lord's Prayer. And I said those aloud. Not that I believed in God, but this voice told me to do it, so I'm doing it. And um, the people around me became incredibly angry. And they were saying in language that's the most obscene, horrible language I've ever heard in my whole life, that there is no God and nobody can hear me. And now if I don't stop, they were gonna make things much worse for me. Well, for the first time in my whole experience with these people, I was able to get a reaction from them. It was a bad reaction, but at least I was, it was like I was able to metaphorically punch back by saying prayers. So I started making up prayers. Now, I've never told anybody <laughs> what I actually prayed because it was very crude. Something like, God is going to expletive deleted, get you, <laughs> you know, that, those were my prayers. But anyways, they were sincere. <laughs> and that um, and I was like using using God as sort of like the fist to, you know, bash him. And the more I mentioned God, the more they were screaming at me to stop. But the important thing was is that they kept retreating back into the darkness because they could not bear any mention of God. So they left me alone and they left me in that place for a very long time. And in that time, I thought about my life and Realized like, what was I alive for? 38 years old, and I thought I was like God's gift to the world. And I thought it was so important. I was a big shot. And you know, I realized I was a nothing. You know, everything that I thought about myself was all a delusion of ego. You know, I was just a schmuck like all the other seven and a half billion schmucks on the planet, you know, just sort of eking out a living, trying to make some sense of it all and not getting many answers about what sense it meant. And uh, I just sank into real despair, hopelessness. And then a very vivid memory came to me as a child in Sunday school singing, Jesus Loves Me. And I'm sure most of your viewers know, but it's Jesus Loves Me. This I know for the Bible tells me so that it's not. When I, I could see myself in Sunday school with the other kids singing this, but most importantly, in my memory, I could feel what it felt as a child. I mean, I could feel that uh, I loved this Superman guy named Jesus, you know? And when I was a little kid, I used to pray to him and stuff like that, and I believed in him, and he would answer my prayers and stuff. So I thought, I don't know Jesus, if you're real or not, I don't know if you care about me or not. I don't know if you want to hear my prayer, but Jesus, please save me. And what I meant by save me was rescue me, you know, get me out of this place. And 
to my surprise, a tiny little light, like a star appeared in that darkness and it got very bright, very fast. And it came over me right in front of me. It was impossibly bright white light. But, you know, looking back on it, it wasn't light as we know it because it was so bright that if it had been light, if we know it, it would have burned me, you know, I wouldn't have been able to look at it. And way brighter than the sun times 10,000. And out of it emerged hands and arms. He reached down and touched me. And when he touched me, all that gore and all that stuff just kind of drifted away. And I was completely whole. And his hands went behind my back. And he picked me up and put his arms around me and held me very strong, very tight up against himself. And I cried like I'd never cried in my adult life. I cried like a baby with my face buried in his chest. And he rubbed my back like a mom or a dad would do with a hurt child. And it was the greatest happiness and love that I've ever experienced in my life. And I knew that he didn't just love me. He wanted me and cared about me. And I'm just basking in that great love. And all of a sudden I realized my feet are not on the ground anymore. We're moving and we are going straight up. I'm like, whoa, whoa, this is... We're getting out of here. I mean, that's all I cared about. We're getting out of this place, you know? And so we're, we're moving and going faster and faster. And I'm trying to get my composure because I've been crying so hard. And finally get enough. And I look up to where we're heading. And what I see is what at first I think is a huge galaxy of stars. Except then I realized that all the stars are moving this way and that way. And it's not stars. There are other beings of light. And now we're moving towards it. And I think to myself, he's made a terrible mistake. I'm a piece of garbage. And I don't belong here. Because I felt so dirty. And with that, we stopped outside of this realm of light and light beings. And he spoke to me for the first time telepathically, and he said, we don't make mistakes. You do belong here. And I thought, I didn't say, how'd you know what I was thinking? Because I didn't say it. He said, I know everything you've ever thought. And then I thought, oh, this is really bad because I've thought a lot of things that I don't want you to know that I've thought. And he laughed. And when he laughed, it was like, he's got a sense of humor. You know, I mean, personally, I like anybody that thinks I'm funny, okay? You know, because I like my my humor most mostly uh, bombs because I have a dry sense of humor. You know, most people don't get it. Stuff I think is, oh, that's pretty clever. You know, they're like, yeah, what's your point? Anyhow, so we began to converse and um, kind of funny to say, but he's the coolest guy. He's very cool, very relatable, easygoing, and. Uh, I, I call Jesus my best friend because he is my best friend. He's also my Lord and Savior and King of Kings and all that good stuff, but he's my friend. 
and he wants to be all of our friends. And he said, I got some people I want you to meet. And he called out with musical tones and a group of what I refer to as angels came and he said, now they've recorded your life and they want to show you your life. So I had a life review where they, we went over my life in chronological order. And as it progressed out of my childhood into moving into adolescence and adulthood, it kind of went south and I saw what a selfish jerk I'd become and how much hurt I had caused my mother, my father, you know, my friends, everybody by being so selfish. Because what they wanted to show me was how to be a kind, loving person. And I was not that. I was a successful person, which to me was what mattered. And the kind and loving part was like a sign of weakness. You know, to put it crudely, I wanted to be the biggest, baddest bear in the woods. You know, I want people to be afraid of me because I thought that's what a real man does. You know, you rule by intimidation. And uh, there are many times in my life review when I said, I want to see this, it's awful, you know? And I knew that I was really causing pain with Jesus and with the angels with the stuff that I did with my life. But they said, no, you need to watch this. You need to see this. And at the end, when it was over, Jesus said, do you have any questions? And I said, I got many questions. He said, ask all your questions. So I asked him everything I could think of to ask him. And he answered all of my questions patiently, kindly, thoroughly. And then he gave me the bad news that I had to come back to this world, which I vigorously did not want to come back to this world. I want to go to heaven. And he overcame my objections about coming back here with reason and kindness and patience. And uh, I came back. And when I came back, I was back in the body, back in the pain, and immediately a nurse had come, came into the room. This was now nine o'clock at night, half an hour from when she'd been in there earlier. So the doctors have arrived, has arrived, and we're gonna prepare you for surgery. And I had the surgery at 10 o'clock. The next morning when I woke up from the surgery, I knew that the most important thing in my life had happened to me and that I was gonna to have to remake myself. Now, I'm 38 years old, I spent 38 years building this person, this character. And now I'm thinking, okay, now I've got to demo the whole thing as in demolish this whole thing and build a whole new person. Where do I begin? What do I do? <laughs> you know, it's like, well, I don't know, you know. So that's what I've been working on since um, 1985, trying to build a new person. and. The way that I've done that is by following uh, Jesus Christ, who I believe is the Son of God, and that for a time, 2,000 years ago, he was uh, fully human and fully divine to show us what human beings could be and should be. And so that's, that's the story of my life. Howard's story is incredible. The transformation from atheist to believer in counting those dark spirits being saved by Jesus himself and having the opportunity to review his life and reevaluate the person he wanted to be when he returned, all of that is just so inspiring. One thing I would like to point out is the disbelief in the beginning. The dark spirits seemed to take advantage of Howard's refusal to accept what was happening and seemed to believe they could trick him into going wherever it was they were leading him. 
This community of people revolving around near-death experiences is an amazing community. But one thing I think it lacks is the consideration that there are still dark spiritual forces at large. Maybe it's nothing like the modern religions teach. Maybe it is. Either way, if we take a look at how many accounts people have had encountering these kinds of entities, we definitely should be talking about it. Good news may just be easier to swallow, but the good news in this situation is that Howard was saved by Jesus himself. That would be so astonishing, especially for an atheist who probably felt like he was gambling a little bit reaching out for him in the first place. It completely makes sense for him to have crumbled into the arms of Jesus. That memory of being a child worshiping a superhero named Jesus, the rawness of that childlike sense of awe, and then to be scooped up and rescued from that dark horror horrible place is truly beautiful. Howard was so humble sharing his story. It just blows me away how honest he was about who he was and now who he's trying to become. This experience most definitely would change a person no matter who you are. And it sounds like there was a very large pivot here. If you're inspired by Howard's story, he did write a book about his journey and it's called My Descent into Death. I have heard a lot of people say this book was life-changing for them to read, and I can't wait to read it for myself. So make sure to join us again soon to hear from another near-death experiencer and to reflect on the profound nature of each and every one of these stories. Everyone has such a unique experience, and we can learn and grow just from listening together. If you loved this podcast, please follow and share the episode with someone you think could appreciate listening to Howard's story. If you would like a more visual experience, go ahead and subscribe to our YouTube channel, The Other Side NDE, where we put out new videos every week. Thank you for listening, and I hope you all receive love, light, and blessings today and every day. We all fall.